let's um, get Bibles into people's hands. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, raise your hand nice and high. Or if you don't have a Bible app on your iPad or on your iPhone uh, like me, then uh, you need the hard copy. They're coming around. Put your hand up high. Those of you that have them, Titus 3. Titus 3 is where we will be uh, today. Titus chapter 3. If you don't know where that is, uh, look in the table of contents. That'll direct you to the right page number. Or look at the person next to you who seems to know what they're doing. If they don't know what they're doing, look at somebody else. Or just open to, do what I used to do, just open to any page and just pretend that I'm, just hide it from everybody else. And just, oh yeah, reading right along here. Uh-huh. We all start at the same place, don't we? We all, so don't be embarrassed or shy. I remember when I first became a pastor, I got a phone call from someone in the community that was having an, uh, a meeting, a special kind of organizational meeting and they called me up. I was, you know, brand new pastor. They said, we'd like you to come and do the benediction. And I said, oh, sure, absolutely. Hung up the phone. I said, what is a benediction? I have no idea what that is. So I had to look it up on the computer, what's a benediction, so I could know what I was supposed to do, <laughs> you know. Wow. We all start at the same place. Uh, the next thing is, obviously, today, uh, is, this is Memorial Day weekend, and so we'll take a minute just to recognize those of you uh, among us that have uh, served personally or have had family serving in the United States military. If you would just stand up, please. Amen. All right, all right. Hey, where is, is Emery here? Where is Emery Morris? Is Emery here? Is, is, is he? Because is he? he's going into the service, right? Emery, yes, that Emery, Emery Lee. Stand up for a second. Which branch are you going into, Emery? Head in the Marine Corps. <laughs> also, today we have a special celebration today. I was going to have everybody keep standing and then have everybody sit down whose birthday it wasn't today. We have a birthday celebration today, but the fellas sitting all the way in the back, Alan, if you would just stand up and everybody could just, today is Alan's birthday, <laughs> Who, and you also come from a very military, Marine Corps background, right, Marine Corps family? So, uh, you know, some of you clap for him, you don't even know who he is, you know, you clap for him, but this, which is great, because that's the kind of family we are, but um, I'll let you know a little bit about Alan. We first met Alan a couple years ago at the soup kitchen in Charlottesville. And uh, since then, he has become sort of part of our family, he joined us on our men's retreat, and we've just been developing a relationship together with him. And, and we all have become his family, and he part of our family. And he is going to be baptized in July. Uh, at, And so we have cake after the service uh, that you can enjoy and help celebrate his birthday. And on the same note, I want to invite Melinda up here. Where's Melinda Combs? Melinda. Come on up, Melinda. Some of you have seen, uh, if you've been around here for a little while, you know that our church is very involved with the soup kitchen at First Baptist Church in Charlottesville. And uh, every so often you'll see emails come out, hey, we need some blankets, or hey, we need socks, or hey, we need this, or we need that. And, and you guys have, have given 
uh, very, very generously in a number of ways. We put out an email about somebody needing a bus pass, 20 bucks a month so someone could have a bus pass so they could make their way through Charlottesville to get where they needed to be. And we got a call that said, I want to pay it for the rest of the year. And that's just what you guys have been doing. So Melinda and our, where's jo- Joan and Fran? Where are they hiding somewhere? All right, why don't you guys, come on up too. Come on, I know you didn't want to, come on up. Joan and, and Fran and Melinda are, are very much involved with the workings of the soup kitchen in, at First Baptist Church. And their ministry to the folks that are there. And not everybody that's there is homeless. It's a free meal. They don't ask any questions. It's just a place where if you're just short on money or you just want to, some people just come because it's a great place to have lunch. And uh, they come and these folks really do a tremendous job ministering and invite us, invited us and welcomed us alongside of them to minister to the folks that are there. So they wanted to come today on Alan's birthday and just share uh, a few words uh, of thanks to you all for your support. Um, Steve, I kept telling him we want to thank you so much for what you've done. And he said, well, why don't you come personally? And I said, I will. Can I also sing something? And he said, yeah. But uh, it is a wonderful opportunity for me to be here. And I wasn't, didn't know that Fran and Joan were going to be here. But she has just been so wonderful to so many people. And we have so many other people. 20 years ago, I took a Bible study called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And God just reminded me through that that he's always working and he invites us in. And about six years ago, he invited us to have a soup kitchen. And at that time, we had so many people um, that were in not only need of food, um, but they also were starting to ask me for hygiene items and clothes and tents and whatever. So we started collecting some of those things. And Tim Ma at the time, Pastor Tim Ma, he was giving our devotions and prayer. We felt like, you know, this was God's soup kitchen that we needed to thank him for what he was doing. It wasn't ours. Well, when Tim would be away, in his absence, Pastor Steve was invited. And so Steve would come and, and, uh, on Fridays, and then some of you started coming. And that was an answer to prayer for me because Joan and I and some others saw so many needs of people who just wanted to tell us their story or people who had so many needs. Somebody wanted them to pray, you know, to pray with them, and it was hard for us to be ten different people. And so as a result, um, you guys have really been an answer to prayer. And um, I was thinking about this on the way here today. I thought, you know, God invited you in also. And to think that that God knew before this world was ever created that I was going to be standing here. There would be a soup kitchen. You would be part of it. Alan has come to know the Lord, and I've known him for many years and going to be baptized on July the 4th. It's just overwhelming to me. Um, Even when we've had our Pacha ministry, which is a ministry that's in Charlottesville that goes into different churches, we have it once a year, I made a, a plea for snacks. And Steve says, what do you need? I said, snacks. And so all these snacks came in. But every time that we needed something, or sometimes when I don't even tell him, he'll just say, is anything you need? And when I tell him, y'all have responded in such a wonderful way, and, and you're just such a wonderful mission-oriented church, and I just want to personally thank you for that. Also, um, 
not just what we give people. Um, like in the Bible, when Jesus said that he fed the 5,000 or the 4,000, he fed them um, physical food, but then he gave them spiritual food. And that's what we have seen in the last couple of years, Joan and I, where people are wanting Bibles and then wanting to know more about the Lord. And so um, this is another way that God has opened a door. Um, I just want to thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus and come along beside us. We really appreciate it. This morning I've seen a lot of familiar faces, but I've met a lot of other people, wonderful people. You're a warm and, and wonderful congregation. And there's a scripture that came to mind all through the soup kitchen off and on. And it's from Matthew 25, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. But last night I was reading it again, and it was talking about when the Lord comes back and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And um, the righteous will answer him. That's us. Lord, when did you see the hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the one of the least of these of my brothers, you did for me. And so that's, I'm always reminded that whatever we do is for him. And uh, then I asked him if I could sing a song. When I was in a music ministry 20 years ago, this song just really penetrated my heart. And I bought it as a cassette and was not able to get it put on CD, so I'm not singing with music today. But anyway, just listen to the words. This is really what has summed up uh, what I see in our soup kitchen and just reaching a lost and dying world. Somebody's down to their last time. Somebody's running out of time. Not too far from here. Somebody's got nowhere else to go. Somebody needs a little hope. Not too far from here. And I may not know their name, but I pray just the same that you use me, Lord, to wipe away a tear. Somebody's not too far from here Somebody's troubled and confused Somebody's got nothing left to lose Not too far from here Somebody's forgotten how to trust Somebody's dying for love Not too far from here It may be Somebody finds the road of life to steal. 
One last thing, and, and while we pray uh, as we begin our study in Titus chapter 3, um, we have a, a number of you serving in all kinds of areas. I know I was just looking at Bruce over there who, who drives the van to the Haven to pick up you know, folks that need rides in from Charlottesville, and a lot of you serve in Columbia in our own children's ministry. All, all different areas you guys are serving. There's ladies that cook uh, the food, the dinners for the youth on the nights they have youth night invite. I mean, there's just so many places to serve. And every place is important. The, the deal is, we're a body. We're the body of Christ. And there's tremendous diversity in the body of Christ. But that everybody can contribute in some way is an awesome thing. And so uh, we do have some people that are going overseas uh, this summer for ministry opportunities and mission opportunities. And if you all, if you're going to Ukraine uh, or to Africa, or anywhere else maybe we don't know about, if you would just stand right now. Warren, I know you're leading a team to Ukraine, and Dee is going. And Rachel, where are you going this summer? Africa? Rachel's going to Africa. And I know Sue Heineman is also going to Ukraine, and she's not here. So we're going to uh, get ready to, to um, get into Titus chapter 3, and we're going to pray uh, for the folks heading overseas. And when do you leave, Warren? This coming Wednesday. Oh, man. Um, if you guys that are just around those going out on, mission, on the mission field, if you would just get up and, and lay your hands on them. Because they need, how many of you know that we need the power of God to do, to do ministry? You know, the last thing you want to do is do ministry in your own energy and in your own effort. God needs, us to give, to, God needs to give us a great big heart uh, for people, people everywhere, right? And our next door neighbors and across the pond, as they say. So let's pray and get into our study. Father, uh, we just thank you for every servant's heart that you've created, Lord. Um, All of us were dead in our sins and trespasses, but you made us alive, Lord, and you opened our eyes to things outside of of our own room and our own mirror, Lord, just looking at ourselves all the time. You've helped us to see needs. Uh, You've helped us to have compassion uh, for our brothers and sisters in this world, Lord. You've helped us uh, to become like you. So, Lord, we just lift up those serving all over the place, and specifically, Lord, this morning, these three standing as they head to a a foreign field, Lord, and and we just pray that you would fill them with your Spirit, that they would be um, a help and not a hindrance, that that they would be encouraging and not discouraged, Lord, that that they would be strengthening the body of Christ wherever they go. That they would be the fragrance of life to some, Lord, and recognizing they'll be the fragrance of death to others. Father, fill them to bring uh, tremendous unity and strengthening to your body and, and use them where they're going, Lord. Father, I pray that they would have your eyes and your hands and your feet and that they would selflessly and quietly and sincerely and genuinely serve you in serving others. Father, pour out your Spirit on all of us today to equip us for the work you've called us to do. We pray for the study time together today, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 
you all are already in Titus chapter 3, and all of this is very appropriate to what we're going to look at in the third chapter of Titus. I had said that we would spend two more weeks in Titus. Um, I was mistaken. It looks like uh, I'm looking at my watch saying, okay, it's going to be tight, but I think we can finish all of Titus chapter 3 today. Next week will be uh, Communion Sunday, and uh, then we'll see where things go after that. But uh, I think, can we do Titus chapter 3 today? I think the lessons are going to be pertinent. Um, If you wore steel-toed shoes today, raise your hand. (laughs) You might need them, uh, because this is going to be challenging, but oh so good. Uh, We've been talking about Paul's letter to Titus, this missionary, to create these lazy gluttons, these savages, these liars, uh, the people that lived in Crete, their reputation was not a good one. And Paul said to Titus, that's where I want you to stay and do ministry for a season. And he was to help them get their ducks in a row. He was to set some things in order. And so hopefully in our own hearts, as we've talked about family and leadership and teaching and relationships between older and younger um, men and older and younger women, I hope that God is sort of getting your ducks in a row. Because once you know who you are and you know where you stand, life is a lot easier. And so the question I have as we begin our sermon today in Titus chapter 3 is, what if you were in charge? Oh, I know you've thought about it. Don't look at me that way. I know you've thought about that, maybe even right now. If I was in charge, we wouldn't have as much stuff. No, it wouldn't be as many announcements in this church if I was in charge. We would get right to the Word. We'd have singing and the Word, and that's it. What if you were in charge of the universe? That's a scary thought. I can't even manage my checkbook, let alone the universe. But how many times have we tried to tell God what to do and how He ought to do things? Would the universe be uh, better if you were in charge? Well, what about if you were in charge of Fluvanna County? How would you deal with rural preservation, development, making all the decisions? Well, you're certain you could do a better job. If I was in charge, here's the things that I would do in Fluvanna County. Well, what about in charge of the nation? What if you were president? Well, certainly you'd get it right. You'd do it better. All right, you ready for We're going to bring this home. What about if you were in charge of the school district? Oh, the groans. Oh, certainly I could do a better job. I mean, certainly we would be better off with me there. I would make better decisions and and certainly could get some things straightened out. Well, maybe if you were in charge of the church or if you were in charge of the team, if you were the coach, or maybe kids might say, well, if I was in charge of my home, we'd have ice cream for breakfast. And there'd be no bedtime and so on and so forth. And you would do things differently, wouldn't you? You can think right now of some of those areas I've mentioned, and you would make changes. And, and you would sort of set things in line to do th- things the right way. You would see things clearly. And you would take and enact the right steps to accomplish the goals that need to be accomplished. And everybody would immediately see your wisdom. And they would see your genius. And they would bow to your leadership. And then you would build fairy tale land and skip together through the clover. No, of course. You see, if you were in leadership, you would have people following you like you. 
that were sure that you were missing the mark, that you were doing things wrong, that you were, well, a little off base in that decision, well, could have done that better, wouldn't you? Because we don't live in fairy tale land, we realize that sometimes there are wrestlings with leadership, authority. And knowing your place, knowing my place, you might be in, in authority in one place, but not in authority in another. And so as we look at Titus, just look, see, I'm not just shooting from the hip here. Look at Titus chapter 3. As we are finishing up getting our ducks in a row, he says, remind them. Remind them. And keep reminding them is the implication in the original language. Titus, you have to keep reminding these lazy gluttons, these liars, these savages to do what? To be subject to rulers and authorities and to obey. This is what you need to remind them because we recognize that all through human history, there's always been those that are in authority and those that are not. And it's very important for you to know which one you are at any given moment. Isn't that important? Because there is a tendency sometimes to um, not really agree with the authority or to not like the authority. Now, my dog does not understand Genesis chapter 1. My dog does not realize that I'm supposed to have dominion over him. And so there I am uh, trying to, to get him to do something. Our dogs like to, when we open the door, we have three dogs um, one of them is really the missing link, just a little chihuahua dachshund thing, and hard to call that a dog, but she's very cute nonetheless. Uh, but the other two, they get this thing, if they're out alone, if one of them is out, they're okay, they hang around the property, but when they go out together, they get this little gleam in their eye, they look at each other, and they're like, yeah, let's go, and boom, they go tearing down the driveway, and we're calling and yelling, come back, come back, and and, they, and sometimes they'll even stop and look at us. And I think if they could stick out their tongue and do this, if they had Paul, they could, then they would do that. But they don't understand Genesis chapter 1. And that is so frustrating, isn't it? That, for me it is. For me it's terribly frustrating. He doesn't say remind them to agree with the rulers and authorities. And who, who are the rulers and authorities? Powers, principalities, rulers, literally those that are first. You see, we have this issue that we've cultivated in our culture of, of looking at and teaching our kids that everybody's equal. Now, we're all created equal, are we not? We're all created in the image of God, male and female, all created in the image of God. In Christ, there's neither male nor female, slave nor free. We know that. However, in the world we live in, there are some that are First, and there are others that are way on down the line, are there not? And again, it's important to know which one you are, because the rulers are those that are first. They're the ones that are in charge. And it doesn't say we have to like what they've decided, but it does say we have to obey what they've decided. I told my son when he started driving, I said, I can guarantee you'll never get a speeding ticket in your life. How? Do the speed limit. It's pretty easy. I, I love cruise control. Do you have cruise control? I love, I set that thing, okay, maybe a mile or two an hour over the speed limit. But I set that speed, that, that cruise control, and then on the highway, I can pass a police officer sitting there in a speed trap and not have to worry. Why? Because I'm completely within 
the law. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fear. And the Bible tells us that where does authority come from? Where do rulers come from? Someone said the pit of hell? No, that's not right. That's not, no, authority, all authority, Romans chapter 13, Paul said it. And just in case you think Paul is a lunatic, Peter says the same thing. Be subject to rulers and authorities because all authority is from God. And you say, well, you know, this, this authority is from, yes, that authority is from God. All authority is from God. He has his reasons for putting certain people in the places he's put them. And he tells us, remind them to obey and to be subject to, to submit. Now, I learned a huge lesson about this, that not everybody, uh, although created equally, not everybody is in charge. You see, I was a young guy, a young Christian. I didn't understand Hebrews 13. I hadn't learned that yet, that I'm supposed to obey those in authority. Hebrews 13 says that as well. It's all over uh, the New Testament. And uh, so I thought somehow that, that I knew something. And that those that were in charge ought to listen to me because I know something here about what's going on. So I would try to express my opinion and was very discouraged when my opinion wasn't heeded. Now, they didn't listen to me. That was very disappointing to me. That was very discouraging. They didn't listen to what I... And you know what I realized? Like this, this huge... It's one of those revelation moments where the light just goes on and you see things clearly like, yeah, you know, they didn't care what I had to say. I wasn't in charge. Now, rather than that hurting my feelings, because see, here's the issue. We all think we know best. And the great, the funny thing for kids, especially that think they know better than their parents, sometimes some, then, then you're going to have kids and, and you're going to realize that they think you don't know as much as they know and on down the line it goes. You're going to have kids just like you, just like we're going to have followers just like us when we're in leadership. And I realized, you know what? My job is not to be in charge. If someone asks me what I think, be glad to give my opinion. But otherwise, my job is to obey and to submit. And when I, I coached soccer for years, and then I didn't have time anymore to do that, and so I became an assistant coach. And my, it was great, so freeing to be an assistant coach I didn't have to plan the practices. I didn't have to decide if the game was going to be canceled because of rain. I just got to show up. And, and the guy that was coaching, you know, we had different styles of coaching. We had different things we liked. We had different ways we operated. But you know what? My job was to be there to support him. And, to, and sometimes he'd ask what I thought. I'd tell him. But if he didn't choose to do it my way, that's up to him. Because you know what? He's in charge. And with, with being in charge comes responsibility. The person who's in charge is accountable where? To God. The person who's not in charge is accountable where? To God for obeying. Even Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, he, he hangs behind at the temple to challenge the teachers, to ask them some questions they couldn't answer. Hey, who's this kid? Get this kid out of here. He's making us look bad. Well, his parents couldn't find him. They finally find him. They take him back to Nazareth. And what does the Bible say about Jesus? And he was subject to them there. As a 12-year boy. If any kid, I heard one person say one time, if any kid could ever say, my parents just don't understand me, it would have been Jesus, right? And even he was subject to them. He had put himself under their authority. Remind them to be subject. Now, is this a blanket? I mean, is there ever a case not to? And, and some of you know Peter 
Paul, who wrote these things, got themselves in a lot of trouble by not following the very thing that they wrote right here if it was meant to be taken that way. The issue comes when the authorities and the rulers that were to obey uh, enact laws and rules that don't come from God or actually contradict the Word of God. Now we have what's called a choice. A choice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to make. A choice that Daniel had to make. A choice that the disciples had to make. And a choice that when it's chosen to go against the powers and authorities, uh, a choice that has consequences with it. So we know those stories about Daniel, how he was, uh, a law was enacted that he should not pray. And he prayed. And how the disciples were told they can't preach. And they preached. And how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow to the image. And they said, we can't. We can't bow. Well, Daniel ended up in the lion's den. The disciples ended up in getting beaten. And uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ended up in the fiery furnace. All had consequences. But there will come a time, maybe, when you have to make that choice and be ready to stand for. But, but typically, in the daily, everyday scenario, it's, it's not that, that kind of issue yet. Thank God we still have some freedoms religiously in our country. Amen? Amen. But we may be there at some point. Uh, so remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, uh, to be ready for every good work. I mean, that's so, you know, we're, it's so easy to sit back and be the armchair quarterback and say, well, here's what they should be doing and here's what that person should be doing. And if truly... Let me ask you this question. If truly you would be better at it than the one who is doing it, then my question to you is, why aren't you doing it? Why haven't you put yourself in a place to be in charge? Well, that's too much. I don't have time for that. Well, then, what do you want to do? We voted. We have things we can do. We have ways we can work. The Bible says, instead of complaining about the authorities, be subject to them. And be ready for every good work yourself. Instead of complaining about what's not happening, make some stuff happen, church. Amen? Make some things. Get get involved. Find out who's on the board of supervisors. Pray for them. We don't pray enough for our supervisors, for our president. Be ready to serve in the community. Be ready to come alongside somebody who's in a place of leadership. And support and encourage. Be ready for every good work. Here, the verse 2, we're all going to get nailed on this one. You ready? What's verse 2 say? To speak evil of no one. See, in our pride and in our selfishness and in our self-assurance, we're very quick to tell others on Facebook what the leaders should be doing and how we know exactly how these things should be working out. And then we're glad to run them down or uh, talk evil. And the Bible clearly says, listen, Christian, it says, speak evil of no one. Let no corrupt word come out of your mouth, the Bible says. Only what is good for necessary edification. You might think it, don't say it. Because again, we're called in the church to do unto others as we would have others do unto us. And what if you were in leadership? Wouldn't you want people that supported and encouraged? They're not going to understand what, why you chose to do what you do. They might not agree with what you chose to do or how you chose to do it. But isn't it great when you don't have that wrestling and wrangling and have to 
fight that fight all the time, it's frustrating. It can be. So again, speak evil of no one. Be peaceable. Not, not fighting, not arguing, contentious all the time. Be gentle. Uh, the, the aspect of being gentle is one that... Um, it's a person that doesn't give someone else what they deserve. So be gentle. Be easy on people. You know, we're so hard on each other, aren't we? We're so certain that we know, we are experts in knowing what other people should do with their lives and how other people should rule. Uh, be gentle. Look, we're all trying to get through this. We all are in need of the same grace, are we not? And we're just trying to get through this the best we can. Wait till you see where, oh, this is fantastic. But be gentle. Can you do that? Can you be, you know, that's what I appreciate in my life. You know, I didn't sign up for this job. God called, I got enlisted. I got drafted to being a pastor. God called and said, Steve, I need you. I said, no, thank you. Busy. He said, no, I mean it. I said, so do I. Who won? He won. So, Look, we're getting through this. We're doing the best we can in areas. And what we need is to be encouraging of one another and of those in the leadership. And, you know, if there come things that, that just can't be sorted out, we have to work those through with God and enter, exercise our options. Be gentle. Now, this is great. Showing all humility to all men. Really, the word meekness. Being a humble or a meek person. The only place where Jesus describes himself when he talks about, come to me, all you who are laden, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And he goes on to say, I am meek and lowly of heart. So same description here of Jesus that is uh, supposed to be of us showing all, just being a generally humble and yielding type of person. And here's, the, here's some questions for you as we end this section. Are you the kind of person that always has to be in charge? even if you're not in charge? Do you have to tell other people how to do things? Are you able to do something joyfully for someone else even when it's not being done the way you would do it? Because let me give you a newsflash. You can't do everything. I've seen pastors try. I've seen pastors try to control and manipulate the way everything is done. And it's, it's a lesson I learned early on in ministry. If you're going to give people um, authority, you also have to give them power. And you also have to allow them to do things differently than you might do them. And so there's a lot of times where things happen, I go, well, I'm not sure I would do it that way, but you know what? Give it a shot, because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're seeing it right. And maybe, Did that ever dawn on you? That maybe it's you that's not seeing it clearly? No, no, that couldn't be. No, no, no. Let's read on. Let, all humility to all men why? Verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Amen. See, especially now for the Cretans you know, and for the Romans or for the Christians in the Roman, under the Roman government, it was a pagan government. They didn't see things from God's perspective. They didn't have that Holy Spirit perspective in their lives. So he says, hey, as you look in at other people and the way that they're leading, the authorities, the rulers, you have to recognize that you were there once yourself. Right? There was a time when you didn't know the Lord. 
when you didn't understand his ways? Do you look, is there anything you've looked back on in your life and said, wow, I can't believe I did that? Well, there was someone at some point at that time criticizing you, going, I can't believe he's doing that. And you were so sure that you were right, but now looking back on it, you realize you didn't really have a good perspective. And now you realize you were wrong because you were foolish and disobedient and serving your own lusts. And people do that, don't they? People in leadership sometimes serve their own lusts. So how do we develop a heart of grace for our nation's leadership? How do we develop a heart of grace for our county's leadership? How do we develop a heart of grace for the church leadership, for school leadership? Well, we realized that there was a time when we were once ourselves foolish. Glad that time's over. Whew. Disobedient means unable to be um, changed, unable to be persuaded. You were not persuadable. You've been there. Deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's the description of who we were, church. We were there. And then verse 4 says, The wonderful word, but. That is a glorious word in the Bible, is it not? It's a glorious word uh, 18 years ago in my life. But when the kindness and the love of God, not when the condemnation and the criticism of God came, but when the kindness and the love of God, and this is what we're looking at, church. This is what, instead of criticism and condemnation, we can bring kindness and love. Literally, where we get the word philanthropy, a love of man. When the kindness of God and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Look, God didn't wait till you got your act cleaned up to love you. God didn't wait till you figured it out to love you. Not, it was, he didn't wait for you to carry your Bible and, and memorize where the books of the New Testament were and, and say prayers three times a day. He didn't wait for you to show up to six Bible studies a week and get involved in mission trips and go to Africa. He didn't wait for all that. To, oh, now he's lovable. But what came? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Not by anything. Just tell yourself, there's nothing I can do to earn God's love. Just, just say that to yourself. There's nothing I can do to earn God's love. But according to his mercy, literally, it was mercy that was reigning when he saved us. It was mercy. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? That guy that was on the road to Jericho there, left robbed, bloodied, beaten, half naked from being um, uh, robbed on the street there. And the religious folks come by, the Levite comes by, the priests go by, and then the Samaritan, the hero of the story, comes by. And did the, did the guy laying on the ground go, well, let me brush my hair first so I look savable. I gotta, I gotta get, let me lay the right way on the street, you know, if I, if I, I, I want to look a little bit needy, so let me lie this way. And No, there was not, he was just laying there in trouble and distress. And it was the mercy of the Samaritan. It wasn't the savableness of the man on the road, was it? It was that the Samaritan looked at his condition, looked at his state, and said, I gotta help this guy. And that's each of you, each of you, that's what God saw when he looked at you. He looked at me and said, that poor guy, he needs my help. 
I better step in and help him. God looked at all of humanity that way and said, those poor people, they really need my help. And so he came down, human flesh, took on a body, became a servant, obeyed to the point of death, even death on a cross, to secure something for me that I could never secure for myself. He picked me up. He carried me off on, on the donkey just like the Samaritan and, and, and took care of me and, and said, whatever else he needs, charge it to my account. Everything else we've needed has all been charged. That's what the Samaritan said. When it takes the, the guy to the inn, gets him, binds up his wounds. And some of us have come, some of you are here today with tremendous wounds. And you're trying to figure out how somehow you can make yourself likable or lovable toward God when you've got all this shame in your background and all this stuff you've been through. Stop trying. You can't produce something that already exists. And God says, I want to bind up those wounds. I want to heal. I want to put ointment on those. And whatever else you need, Jesus Christ says, put it on my account. I'll pay for it. But according to his mercy, he saved us. How? Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Man, through the washing of regeneration. Meaning, to, to re- regeneration means to be again. I get to be again. Not what I was, but something new. To get washed, to get cleansed. Some of you guys worked in the yard all day yesterday and you came in the house filled with grass clippings and nasty and you were in the dirt gardening or whatever you were doing. And you came in and that shower felt so good, didn't it? I mean, when you get to get washed off, you get all of that dirt washed off. Oh, it feels so good. And this is what happens in the life of every single Christian believer. When you give, when when you yield, when you surrender yourself to Christ, He washes you. So that you can be again. See, some of you have stopped being. You're just living, but you're not being. You're just existing. And And God wants you to know that you can be again. Maybe that's a feeling you haven't had in a long time to really live. Because he's going to, some people say this refers to baptism, but it's, it, it may, but it's more than baptism. It's the washing of the word. It's the washing of the new, being born again. I had to be born again. He couldn't just renovate me. He could, well, Steve's pretty good. I'll just make some corrections here and there. It's, I'm good. Just, I got a little issue with self-confidence or I'm good, but my marriage needs some help. Or, no, you needed a new start, a new beginning all over. Wash everything else away. Boom, new start. Where do I go from here? And the renewing, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The Bible says all old things have passed away. Behold, everything is new. And if you've got some stuff in your past that you're ashamed of or that's hurtful or painful, this is what the Bible promises to you. Yeah, those things are still part of who you are and of, what, of where you are today but those things no longer define you. You can be a new creation. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has come into your life. And that's, we have a dirt pile. We've been gardening. We've got this big dirt pile uh, delivered because we're doing raised beds. So we got all this dirt. And when the dirt was delivered, it was just a big pile of dirt. You know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. We got dirt and they brought dirt. 
But something happened when it started to rain and get sunny and warm out. You know what started happening is stuff started growing in that dirt pile. I didn't plant anything in the dirt pile. Where did it come from? What was in the dirt pile? Why don't tomato seeds come in dirt? It's all weeds, right? Wouldn't it be nice? Why is the world like that? Weed seeds. But you see, in there was a seed. And that seed had in it life. And when the conditions were right, it sprung forth to life. And this is what is being said. The renewing of God puts a seed in you when you, sur- when you surrender. He puts a seed in your heart. The Word of God. The Holy Spirit. And that thing begins to grow. It can't do anything but grow. And it brings in you a new life. Not by our works of righteousness, which we have done. Not by any, anything we did. But according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we, have, uh, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, having declared us guilty people, not guilty. Because of what Jesus Christ did for you and for me, we are declared and treated as not guilty. And not only that, we are the, the judge and the Lord gives us an inheritance. We become part of His family. He adopts us in. We're born in. We're adopted in. And we become uh, His kids. And guess what? As His kids, we have an inheritance. And our inheritance is eternal life. Eternal life. Verse 8, having said all that, he says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm, Titus, constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Have you believed? Would you say, yeah, I'm a believer? Then the challenge with that is, is that that should produce something, a desire. You know, God came in and enlarged my heart. He put in me and in you, hopefully, a love for people that is not normal, that is not natural. It's supernatural. It comes from Him. It's born of Him. And it's a love for people that we see someone in need and we go, I can't ignore that. I've got to do something. How can you see your brother in need, the Bible says, and shut up your heart from him? How does the love of God remain in you if you can coldly and callously turn away from people in need? Now, we can't meet all the needs, right? I mean, I know that. I can't, you know, do everything for everybody. But even if I can't meet the need, there's still something in my heart that goes, oh, I wish I had more. I wish I could. I I want to be. But I can do what I can do. And so the word to the body of Christ is rather than criticizing about what we can't control, Let's do some things that we can. Can you do that? As a family, I'm so glad. I told you, our families, one of our key verses is to whom much is given, much is required. Just by being born in the United States of America, you have more than most people in the world. And you didn't choose that. It was given to you. And and some of you have grown up a lot easier than a lot of others. And it's easy to be judgmental. It's easy to be critical about what they should do or shouldn't do, it's a lot harder to get your hands dirty 
to get into other people's yuck and to be careful to maintain good works. We should lead the way. The church should lead the way in good works, shouldn't we? These things are good and profitable. Well, what's unprofitable? Avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. So that, you know, you can get involved with things that are useful and make a difference in the world, or you can just sit in a room with a bunch of other people at Bible study, and I'm not saying Bible study's bad, but you can get into foolish disputes about where Cain got his wife and what this word means and what that word means, and when do we receive the Holy Spirit? Is it here? Is it there? I don't know. Just receive Him. Well, is this right to do? I don't know. Just do something good. You know the difference. And, and that does, you don't have to be a pastor to do that. It can be, it's every day. This is as your life is going on. It's just at work. It's at school. It's, it's within the school system. It's at your workplace. It's in your family. But instead of arguing about whose job it is to take out the trash, just take it out. This is, it's unprofitable. It's a waste of time and energy to argue about these foolish things, he says. You find yourself arguing about foolish things? I mean, honestly, is the Lord ever convict you about that? Like, there you are in the midst of this argument going, what in the world does that matter? Are we just trying to win? I mean, is it all we're trying to do is, ha, I won the argument? Who cares? Here's your ribbon, you know, you won, way to go, you know. Now let's go do something, okay? Can we, let's go actually do something for the Lord. They're un, reject a divisive man, or literally a heretic, uh, someone who has chosen uh, to depart from the, the, the age-old truths of God's Word and to see things their own way. Re, turn away from that person after the first and second admonition. Hey, you talk to them about it. You try to help them get it right. And if they just refuse to listen, they just will not have anything to do with it. Don't just, just turn away. Don't try to convince them on, for the next year and a half that your way is the right way. Just turn Just let it go. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning. Being self-condemned. Just by their rejection of the truth, they have condemned themselves. That's what, you know, a lot of people say, well, why does God send people to hell? God doesn't want anybody to perish. People go to hell because they reject truth. They don't, know, they don't want to receive what God has. They don't want to believe what God has. And so this person who rejects the truth, who rejects God's word, says they condemn themselves. Verse 12, when I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis. So uh, Titus was only going to be there for a certain time. He was, his replacements were coming, and, and Titus was going to go and visit with Paul. He says, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos, the lawyer. Hey, whenever you're in prison, you need a good lawyer. Um, although Paul's not in prison during this letter, but no doubt uh, wanting him. Lawyer, we don't mean this in the sense of, a legal lawyer like we have today, this would have been a scribe. Zenos would have been a scribe, an expert in the law. And Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. And again, verse 14, and let our people, our people also learn to maintain good works and to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. And I think Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna, you've done very well. 
I think you've done well. Do I think we can do better? Sure. Because we talk about doing good works and we talk about doing these things for the Lord and every one of us says the same thing. How do I have time? How do I have time? Hey, it's a struggle we have to fight, isn't it? But I believe we have to make the time. And it's good. It's good for you. It's good for your soul. It's much better, the Bible says, it's much more blessed to give than to receive. And, and my fear is that your family, that your life, that everything is so uh, enwrapped in what you are doing, it creates a very self-centered life. And so the Bible says, hey, church, let's be ready to meet urgent needs. When, when there's, a, there's a catastrophe or there's a tragedy or someone's in a place of need or there's something that comes up, hey, let's be ready to motivate and to mobilize to help that person. And again, Calvary Chapel, I want to say that you've done well. I, my opinion, you've done well. I, I think we need to be careful to maintain that, to continue that. All who are with me, greet you. Greet those who love us in faith. And I love the final closing, grace be with you all. Amen. And I would say the same thing to this congregation. Hey, as we work this thing out, as we try to live this out in our own lives, you know, he's doing more works than her or she's doing more works than them. Hey, grace. Grace be to all of you in all of this. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and, and we'll just uh, go ahead and close right now rather than closing with the song. I'll just close with prayer and you'll be, you'll be excused. Father, I just thank you again for what you have done and accomplished among us, Lord, and for your word that reminds us of things that, uh, that, that maybe we struggle with, Lord. Those in the room here that have issues with authority, that are uh, full of pride and self-centeredness, Lord, that have a hard time uh, just serving um, in places where they're not in charge. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in their heart. That you would do a work in our hearts of grace and of humility. Recognizing, Lord, that, man, we struggle in our own lives too. And we don't call all the shots just right. Lord, I pray that you'd help this congregation to keep our eyes focused on things above and not on things of the earth. Lord, that, that we would be a fellowship um, who have believed and that belief has led us to maintain good works in our homes, in our workplaces, that we'd not be known as the person who is constantly complaining, but the person who is different and just trying to do good things and be a blessing. Father, fill us with your Spirit. And if there's any here this morning that have not experienced the washing and regeneration and the new life that you promise. Father, I pray that upon their surrender, you would do it. You would have mercy. Lord, we love you. We want to please you. And we want you to come back and establish your kingdom on the earth. Amen. May it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. All God's people said with a, a wonderful, loud voice, Amen. Amen. Go in peace.